This Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast is sponsored by Kayla. Kayla is an award-winning cybercrime threat intelligence firm with a mission to provide 100% real, actionable intelligence on threats emerging from the cybercrime underground to support the protection from digital crimes. Trusted worldwide, Kayla's technology infiltrates hidden underground places and thoroughly monitors, hunts, and mitigates digital crimes to uncover real risks and allow proactive protection. Kayla arms you with targeted, actionable, and highly contextualized intelligence as seen from the eyes of attackers, thus enabling proactive network defense. For more information, visit them at Kayla.com. That's K-E-L-A.com. Hello, and welcome to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger, in this episode of the podcast. If the organization can find it, initial access for sale in time, it can prevent later on much more devastating attack. It can prevent the ransom attack. It can prevent later on a data breach attack. Just by identifying that someone is selling and access some company uh, assets. In the last decade, cybercrime threat intelligence changed from being the specialty of three-letter agencies to become a standard part of many enterprise security portfolios. By monitoring cybercriminal forums and dark markets, firms can get an early warning about security breaches and the theft of sensitive data. They can even tip off organizations about attacks on company infrastructure and employees that are still in the planning stages. Despite that, operationalizing the kinds of information that cybercrime threat intelligence firms provide is easier said than done. In this conversation, I speak with Itzik Kessler, who is the chief technology officer at Kayla, a provider of cybercrime threat intelligence services. Itzik and I talk about Kayla's recent State of Cybercrime Threat Intelligence report that revealed ongoing concerns about the risk of corporate information turning up on cybercrime forums and about the concerns that IT pros have about visibility into that risk, as well as a lack of clear policies within organizations to handle cybercrime threat intelligence. To start off, I asked Itzik to tell us a little bit about his company and also about his journey to the information security space. I'm Itzik. I'm the CTO at Kela. Itzik, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so for our listeners who are not familiar with Kayla, tell us a little bit about your company, where you're CTO, and what Kayla does. Sure. So Kayla is a threat intelligence company focused on providing actionable intelligence. We specialize in the cyber crime underground with the goal of digital crime prevention. To support that, we have to know and understand exactly what's happening in the cyber crime world and to monitor it in such a way that our customers will have the most accurate and hermetic coverage possible. This means we have to have the most suitable technology to collect, analyze, and extract the right information for our users in an easy way. In the Kela platform, you can find many different tools, both for alerting and monitoring, investigation tools for threat hunting, and also some general trends information on what's currently going on in the cybercrime underground. 
I always ask this of our guests because in the cyber security space, it's often you get really interesting answers. But could you tell us just a little bit about your journey to the cybersecurity space and how you came to, to get involved in the field? Sure. In the, yeah. in Israel, where your company is based, these stories often have a common theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before Kel, I served in the Israeli intelligence at the technology unit. Commonly sto- the common story. There it is! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was there for quite some time, about, I think, eight years, something like that. After which I worked as a senior security researcher at the Israeli National Cyber Authority, which is a government organization whose mission is to provide a nation-level defense to support the civilian world. And then from about 2017, I joined Kela, first as a VP R&D and then later on as a CTO. And I know because I've I've been to Israel and talked to folks from the government, like in Israel, it's really amazing. Like the government actually really has a pretty active program for going out even like early for kids in middle and high school and kind of identifying people who have a proclivity or abilities, whether it's math or computer science or whatever. Was that you as a kid? Were you like a computer nerd as a kid or more of like a math science person or what was your... I'm sorry to say that, yes, I was a nerd as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Playing with the C code even and HTML and some JavaScript from school. Yeah playing video games and stuff, interesting times, yeah. <laughs> so Kayla's focused on what we would term kind of cyber threat intelligence, a focus on the cyber criminal underground. But I, I thought it's always good to talk about what we mean by these terms, because they get thrown around by reporters like me, and sometimes we use them generically. When the types of organizations, individuals, entities that Kayla really focuses on, what are we talking about? What is the cyber criminal underground as you see it and as Kayla sees it? So, first of all, many people refer to this uh, cyber crime underground as the dark web or the dark net. And this is actually the terms that we don't like to use. Yeah. Yeah, they're different. <laughs> they're different things, actually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Usually you hear these terms in the mainstream media as a way to sound frightening, to sound like some spooky things going on under there. But we actually don't like to use these terms. According to what we believe when we are talking about the cybercrime underground, we usually refer to the places where the bad guys, the, attack, the hackers and criminals are using to communicate, collaborate and monetize these actions. It can look like a standard closed forum. It can be even a standard instant messaging group chat or some other things that might look pretty straightforward. Essentially, the cybercrime underground is vast and behaves as a parallel ecosystem with service providers, sellers, buyers, talents emerging. And this ecosystem is keep changing. Yeah. And it's a huge ecosystem. I saw some I don't know, somebody shared some graphic on Twitter that estimated that the cyber crime, the GDP of the cyber criminal underground was something like the third largest GDP. It was like US, China, and then like cyber crime or something. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it's a pretty big ecosystem. Am I right? Yeah. I also don't know about the, no- the exact numbers, but it's a huge ecosystem and you can see it evolves. And especially in every economical ecosystem, you can see things evolve according to demand and needs. And the cybercrime underground works the same way. You can always see a need and you will always find someone who will provide this need for money, of course. 
And this mm -hmm. is how this evolves. It starts from a standard forum. It continues. When you, there are sites and there are services in, in this field where you can just browse sort of a market, see what kind of a credentials you want or what kind of bot you want to get. And with the click of a button, you will get the exact credentials or the exact bot on a, on a compromised machine without doing much of, a, of an effort. So it sounds like something spooky and something that goes in, in behind yeah. the scenes, but it actually evolves and automates and it's very dynamic and very advanced ecosystem. It's a business environment, really, right? And it, the dark web, it's funny. I The, the dark web, I think it, that term gets thrown around because of the word dark and we associate darkness <laughs> with criminality and so on. But in fact, the dark web is really just the non-indexed web, right? It's just all the sites out there that aren't being crawled by Google, not necessarily yeah. malicious. And there's definitely a part of the dark web that is linked to cybercrime, but not all of it. Yeah, that, that's exactly correct. Yeah, I think it sells and that's why it makes it uh, continuously yeah, going yeah, more too. and more. Clickbait. Yeah, good for the headlines. Good for the headlines. So what are the what are some of the group? So I think when we think of cybercrime, often these days we're thinking of like ransomware groups, and this is where a lot of the money is. But what are the different entities or groups or schemes that are populating the cybercrime underground right now? There are many different types of actors and different types of groups, each acting differently with different ideology. I think that basically almost all of them are doing it for profit, doing it for money. But as, as a sort of an ecosystem, as you said, there are different jobs and different spe specialties in these type of actions. For example, some of the groups or some of the people in this field are specialized in get, just getting an initial access to organization, just getting the right credential or getting a VPN access to an organization. And then after that, they just sell it to another group that will get this access into used. And then later on, they will maybe evolve this access and sell it to a ransom group. And then the ransom group will do the ransom. So there are different types of groups working in different ways. Very only, specialized. Yeah, there are different jobs and different titles and different actions that each group is taking. And I think that uh, ideologically speaking, if there is any ideology in these uh, areas, you could see that some of the, I think, ransom groups, there are those who will say that they want to take any health institute during the pandemic or non-profit yeah, yeah, organizations. Yeah. But if they won't do it, some under ransom group will do. So yes. I think that essentially the money talks in there and it's not about the ideology. Yes. We have occasionally seen ransomware groups behave in a quote unquote ethical manner, which usually means after they've popped somebody who ends up being like a pediatric hospital, maybe they'll give them the decryption key back. <laughs> But it seems like there are just as many examples where they don't give them the decryption key back. So, yeah, I think the yeah. jury is out on whether there's any ethical behavior in, in, in that particular industry. You're listening to a spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast sponsored by Kayla. So when I think about threat, cyber threat intelligence groups like Kayla, I think about companies, you've got researchers, specialists who are who have integrated themselves with these communities and groups and forums and are just monitoring and keeping tabs on what's going on, both generally and then obviously specifically on behalf of your clients and what their interests are. Is that how Kayla works? Or are there other, as we would say, 
secret sauce involved in what in your platform and what you do? Yeah, we have a very expert, intelligent people who are continuously monitoring this field and continuously looking for the places where those kind of people communicate and where the markets are evolving. And every time we find this kind of a source, we find this kind of a website that is interesting. One of the secret sauce that we are doing here at Kela is trying to see how we can automate and monitor this source automatically. So if there is a new form, it's nice to monitor it manually and see what's going on, but it will be much more easy and much more complete way to automatically monitor it and automatically alert when there is some talks about an organization, when someone is selling or offering something to sell, we want to um, to identify it as soon as possible and we want to get to the right organization to behave the right way according to what is being published. It's a huge space and right, it's like anything else. This is a lot of, as they might say, unstructured data that you're managing. So having it's going to be impossible to have humans monitoring everything that goes on. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. And also one of the challenges is how to take all of this unstructured data, all of these posts and all of the data that we've collected and to make it into a structured data. Is it to consume, is it to integrate and is it Analyze. to handle later on? Analyze, yeah. exactly. And yeah. this is also one of the technical challenges that we're facing when dealing with this kind of data. So Kayla just came out with a big report, the State of Crime Threat Intelligence Report. And this was a survey that you did of basically 400 professionals who were involved in working with threat intelligence within enterprises. First question would be, what were you looking to learn from this survey? And what types of questions were you looking to answer in this report? And then we'll talk about some of the findings, which are really interesting. Okay. So actually, we didn't really hope to find something specific. Our goal was to get and build a clear image of the current state of the threat intelligence field in order to raise a general awareness of the issues there, to understand what they are thinking and what they think the main issues are, and later on to reflect it to the management, to reflect it to the community on what they are facing with. I think that there are lots of predictions out there, but some of them are solely based on gut feelings and not necessarily the actual states in the field. And that's one we wanted to see in the survey or in this research. Let's talk about some of the findings here. So again, 400 IT professionals that you surveyed. And one of the big takeaways was that you had almost 70%, 69% were concerned about threats from cyber from the cyber criminal underground to their organization. And more than half, 54%, said they wouldn't be surprised if they found data from their organization actually floating around in one of these cyber criminal forums. I, I guess I, I get the seven in 10 are concerned about it. A little discouraging that more than half felt like their organization would be easy prey. What should we conclude from that? I wouldn't call it easy prey. I think that the high, this high percentage is show something positive actually that the awareness for the, these kind of threats is out mm. there i think mm. that essentially every big organization might have a small leakage an untrained employee falls for a phishing attack or press the wrong link for example and i think that the understanding that this employee information might eventually be found and exploited later on in the psychogram underground is good as people will understand that they will need to monitor these places for these exact unknown cases, um, 
to understand that something is being sold even though even though they have all of the other defense in the in place I think that one of the interesting gaps that raised from this report is the issue of trainings actually organizations understand this risk that the cybercrime poses but they don't really understand how to correctly act on it that by the way led us to an initiative started that we have started last year of workshops meant to help the analysts with improving their capabilities whether they use Keller products or not we wanted to improve the knowledge and improve their understanding on how they should react and what they should do by attending to this kind of workshops one of one of the takeaways from the report was that around 40% 38% of the people you surveyed had concerns that their organization would not be able to detect a breach that that re- resulted in data leaking to the cyber underground, cyber criminal underground. What does that speak to? And I guess the question behind that is, what does it take for organizations to detect the types of breaches that lead to data ending up on cyber criminal forums? My sense is often it's through third parties. It's not a fault of the company itself. It might be a supplier or a third party software vendor arm that, that they're using. So what... Um, what is involved in that? And why are why were the people you surveyed so worried that they weren't going to be able to detect these leaks? Well, I agree with the video about the third parties. I think that the third parties might be the element which, which is in risk, which you cannot control over. And we saw many examples in the past of a third party being compromised and later on affecting the, its own customers. That's one of the factors that might be in risk. And I think that the, there are many other factors that might be in risk, whether it is the users that are using the same passwords between the different services. So one service has been exploited and then the attackers might use the same password, try the same password on the organization account. Um, as we said, in the cybercrime underground, there are many different types of entities. And one of these entities is the initial access brokers. And I think people usually think that... They- these are the subcontractors, basically, who do the actual compromise of the organization, right? Yeah, they do the initial compromise, and then they sell this initial compromise to other groups. They can sell it to a ransom group, or they can sell it to a more advanced attacking group who will take this initial access and do some network reconnaissance and later on some later on movement in the network to get some more information out of it. And I think that many people think that the breach is just when the data has been leaked, but the breach is starting much more earlier. And this is where the defenders are maybe find it hard to find these places where the breach has already happened. Some initial broker already offer the access for sale, but they don't know it yet because nothing has really has published. And this is where this threat intelligence solution might help to detect this initial access being sold, or even someone is mentioning credentials for some third-party service that the company is using, for example. So you've mentioned lots of different types of data, usernames and passwords, credentials, obviously credit card numbers and other personally identifiable information. Is that most of what's really for sale on these cyber criminal forums? Or is there other types of data as well that companies might not think, oh, this is valuable or interesting to to a cyber criminal? Everything you can think about is being sold (laughs) in this cyber crime (laughs) data, which works. You can see there everything from passports to credit cards, as you said, to credentials. You can even see their RDP access to sell, for sale. You can see someone posting an 
uh, credentials to an RDP server, not really know yep. what there is between, behind this RDP yep. server. Remote access, remote desktop protocol. Yep, yep. Yeah. Also an access to a PayPal accounts, access to a private Steam accounts as well, access to Netflix that someone that people are selling. You can everything you can think of can be sold over there. And I think that as we mentioned before, even though sometimes the organizations think, okay, we haven't found anything about the organization itself, so we are safe. But if I know, for example, that an employee is working for an organization and the employee has leaked a password. The attacker might try the same password on the on the organizational account of the same employee. So, defending on the organization assets it's one thing, but also not not less important is defending the employees' assets as well. I think. But the sense I get is they get initial access, then they really look around for whatever there is to find and potentially sell. They take it all in and then figure out what they can sell off or what they can make money off of. Yeah, that's correct. And if an organization can find this in time, if the organization can find it, initial access for sale in time, it can prevent later on much more devastating attack. It can prevent the ransom attack. It can prevent later on a data breach attack. Just by identifying that someone is selling and access some company uh, assets. And those initial access, that, as you said, phishing attacks, drive-by downloads, that type of thing, or are there are new variants of attacks that are being tried to, to gain access? I think that there are, it varies and it changes among the time. There are some maybe malicious apps that people are downloading into their phones. It might mm-hmm, be a malicious mm-hmm. site or a malicious application that someone is downloading or add-on to the browser that someone is installing. There are lots of ways to get credentials from a user's device. So it's hard to say and it keeps evolving. So every month or every day or so, you can find some new tool that is being sold or that is being used to publish later on credentials. So in your survey, almost half of the people you surveyed, 48%, said that their organization didn't have a formal policy for using or leveraging cybercrime threat intelligence as part of their operations and procedures. Obviously, as a company that's in this industry, what does that say to you? And I guess, what are some ways that companies can and should be using the types of information that Kayla provides? I think that what should lead this kind of a policy is the right training and knowledge of how these bad guys are operating. Know what is the initial access brokers, know what is actually being sold in this cybercrime underground. Understand what's going on. And once you have the right knowledge, you're halfway there. Once you understand the potential of everything, you can correctly build your risk assessment and behave accordingly with the right mitigation plan when each event is happening. Of course, you can use companies like us or other threat intelligence experts instead of reinventing the wheels. We saw in the survey, for example, that some of the organizations are just building their own tools or writing their own scripts, which is good. But the I think that for the right coverage, th- this ecosystem is keep evolving. Every now and then you can hear of a new forum, you can new, hear a new market, not relying on, a comp- on companies that these are their solely purpose, might miss, might miss some data. It's hard to stay on top of that in addition to all the other work you're doing. And that's all your company does, right? Yeah. And I see the struggle that the developers are having with with maintaining the coverage, with maintaining the correct access to all of these places. So relying on in-house tools instead of relying on the experts 
you might not have the right, or you might not have the right visibility on all of the places. You might have visibility on some of the places, but not on the whole of them and not maybe up to date. So one of the things we've been writing a lot about, obviously, is the shift to attacks on supply chains, open source repositories, third party players. We just saw the attack on Circle a couple of weeks ago resulted in exposure potentially of a lot of secrets. Is Are you seeing in these cyber criminal undergrounds the evidence of those types of breaches as well, the supply chain compromises that are getting access tokens and credentials and so on? Sure. I think that the supply chain attacks has begun many years ago. You can still see it when threat actors are attacking a company, which is also a vendor of other companies, and then use the credentials that they've collected or use the information that they've collected from this vendor to attack its clients. It's not that complicated for the right threat actors to understand how to do it, and they do it because they have the information it's just a matter of analyzing it and then using it later on. So technologically speaking, it's not that of a challenge for the threat actors. And yeah, yeah we can see it, uh, of course. Yeah. So when I think of often threat intelligence, I think of it as you know, the company is going to become aware that there's been a data leak. They're, they're going to see some of their documents or executive emails or whatever out there in these forums and are going to walk back from that to say, OK, there was an incident. We're seeing evidence of it. We need to go back and figure out what happened and so on. Is there a way in which the types of data and information you provide can actually help companies proactively prevent the breach from happening, apply cyber criminal threat intelligence to actually hardening their organization, not always just going back and finding stuff that's happened? I think that, yeah, companies can do some proactive actions. Of course, the most easiest action is to detect every time a credential has been compromised. And this is something that every threat intelligence <laughs> company can, can give you. And then I update the credentials of the user. But I think that the more proactive actions might be, for example, to continuously update, get updates on compromised assets uh, throughout the world. Uh, compromised assets, meaning that someone has attacked a server that later yeah. on can be used, can be sold and used by other attackers to perform attacks on other organizations. So if we maintain so a blacklist of all of the compromised assets, this is something that you can proactively defend yourself against potentially actions that will be taken on your network. Servers that might be used in command and control and stuff like that. Exactly. Before it even became the attack itself, you can proactively protect yourself against it. Final question. It's been a big year geopolitically with Russia's war on Ukraine. That has really shaken up the you know political landscape. What changes have you seen in the cyber criminal underground? Obviously, a lot of cyber criminal activity is centered in and around Russia and the former Soviet republics. Early on, there was a lot of tension within some ransomware groups that had both Ukrainian and Russian members. Are you seeing any spillover effect of that kinetic war in the cyber criminal underground? Yes, yeah, as, as you mentioned, there was at the beginning of the war, there was the issues with the Conti group, which tied itself with Russia. And then later on, someone published their internal communications as a revenge, as a revenge. And I think that once they have done so, it then made them a bit of a challenge to get money from the U.S. companies. When they actually said that they are on the Russian side, U.S. companies were challenged to pay them the ransom because it's illegal to pay to a Russian entity. They would be violating the sanctions. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that that led later on the Conti group to maybe change their name and 
create some other groups instead. And this kind of effect we saw the beginning of the war. But ever since then, things are the way they were. We haven't seen any major change. We haven't seen any major shift. All of the ransom groups are continuing to attack. Yes, some of them or most of them are based in Eastern Europe or in Russia, but they are not fully announcing it. So you don't really, it doesn't really affect them. And things are as they were, I think, so far. Are we making any progress on against these cyber criminal groups or is it still heady days in the cyber criminal world? Things are going great. <laughs> I think that things are as usual in the cyber crime yeah. areas. Unfortunately. A, gr- a growth market. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you before we break? I think that you've covered everything. I think that one of the things that people should take from this talk is that we don't want people to work out of fear, but out of strength of knowledge of this, how it works. And I think that this is the crucial part when dealing with this kind of a cyber crime space or these cyber crimes challenges. And this is the things that we are trying to cope. And this is the training gap and the tools gap that we saw in the survey that we've done. And once the right training is done, once they have the, once people have the right tools, I think this will help them to create their policy, to understand how they work, to build a mitigation plan and the mitigation policy and behave accordingly and not stress out whenever there is a big event right. that might affect them. It's a Kessler CTO at Kayla. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on the Security Ledger podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure for me as well. We'll have to do this again. We'll have you on again. <laughs> I'll take a note for it. It's a Kessler is the chief technology officer at Kayla. He was here to talk about Kayla's recent state of cybercrime threat intelligence report. You've been listening to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast sponsored by Kayla. Kayla is an award-winning cybercrime threat intelligence firm with a mission to provide 100% real actionable intelligence on threats emerging from the cybercrime underground to support the protection from digital crimes. Trusted worldwide, Kayla's technology infiltrates hidden underground places and thoroughly monitors, hunts, and mitigates digital crimes to uncover real risks and allow proactive protection. Kayla arms you with targeted, actionable, and highly contextualized intelligence as seen from the eyes of attackers, thus enabling proactive network defense. For more information, visit them at kayla.com. That's K-E-L-A dot com.